You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lacey Langford, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. My kids have grown up in a unique culture. Having a dad who's a doctor has provided norms and experiences that most kids don't have. Their father rushing out to the hospital, regular phone conversations about death and dying, and a certain affluence and air of keeping up with the Joneses that others don't experience. These peculiarities of family culture are not just limited to the children of doctors, cops, lawyers, and yes, even the military. These professions all create norms that have a profound impact on how their children navigate their lives and yes, their finances. Lacey Langford is a financial coach, veteran, military spouse, and entrepreneur who changes people's mindset from being fearful of money to having control and confidence with it. She's an accredited financial counselor with over 15 years of financial planning, counseling, and coaching experience. Lacey Langford, welcome to Earn and Invest. Let's talk about your official bio that I just read. We use the words control and confidence. Talk a little bit about your childhood. Did did these feelings of control and confidence and your being able to teach it come from your younger years? Man, we're going deep right out the gate. (laughs) I never thought of that, but you're right. that word control probably does have something to do with my military background because I moved a lot. You never knew when you were going to move. It was just a talk I got. My dad would sit us all down and we'd have a family meeting and we were, it was laid on us where we were going next. But I think maybe that word control comes from that because I didn't have a lot of control in the way, you know, where I was living and when that was going to be. Did that cause you anxiety when you were a kid? I don't think so because that was just the way we did it. I was thankful to have three siblings. So I wasn't alone in the journey. And my parents were really good about setting the tone for everything in our life because in the military, you could quickly get into the mindset of, man, this is so horrible. We're leaving. We have to move. We don't have any friends. We don't know this place. My mom could complain. I don't have a job. There's so many ways you could find fault in it. But my parents always led with great news. We're moving again. It's going to be really awesome. We're going on a family road trip to Virginia, to Washington, to you know Pennsylvania, wherever you're going to go to next. And then my dad would usually say something, hey, we know somebody because it's a small community. Normally, we know somebody that was already there getting ready to leave or going with us. So he would lead with that and maybe something that that area is known for and saying this is going to be a great new adventure. You're going to start fresh, meet new people, be exposed to new ideas and environments. So I think 
that part made it so I didn't feel things were out of control, but maybe, you know, subliminal in, in the back of my mind that I would think those things. It's interesting, right? Because you had to move. Sometimes you didn't know it was coming. It happened often, but it sounds like your parents were trying to put this control and confidence into your life. Talk about the role of structure and habit. Like I get the feeling being the child of someone in the military, you guys had a lot of structure that you stuck to as kids. Oh, yes. Especially when you moved, when you arrived, that's where chaos can be is <laughs> they're unloading a truck and just throwing your crap into their house. And it's like everybody has their own space that they want to set up and get comfortable quickly. And we always had the rule that beds were first. So when we hit the wall, at least we could all get in our own bed and start to feel comfortable. So that was laid out. And usually you do it in advance. So you're making sure your boxes are marked correctly. So, you, hey, bedding's in this box, you know, sh- you know, pillows, things like that. And so you know what you're grabbing first. And so that was the thing that we did. Everybody was a team effort setting up the beds. You know, we were little, my dad did most of it, but you know, mom helped with the sheets. And then we got older, we started doing those things, but then the kitchen was next. So that we would have a hub where, I mean, a family of six eating out all the time, it just wasn't a great idea. Mm-hmm. And there was a budget and we were always known that there was a budget. There wasn't a blank check when we moved for eating out and things like that. So kitchen was next. And then after that, it was, um, living space for the family. So there was structure that way. And even when we went to things like an amusement park, there was structure. My dad was a military police officer. So that also plays into some of it. And, and when we would go to like, let's say Bush gardens, we would have to have a family meeting at the beginning of, as soon as we entered the park, we would pull over as a family of six and make the plan for if we got separated or something went horribly wrong that we would, we had a rally point. So as children, we knew, you know, who to look for as an adult, like somebody that works there with a name tag, but he, my dad made us look around. We'd have to look back. So we could identify it looking a different way, you know, because sometimes when you walk in the park, you never turn around and look what it looks like going back that way. So as kids, we would know, This is where we'll find our parents or we'll find our other siblings (laughs) if we get separated or things like that. So little things, there there was always structure. And like if we travel and we're in separate vehicles, there was always structure for that. Everybody had their own set of directions. We knew where we were going. There was always a fallback position for things. There wasn't a lot of room for disorganization and chaos, it sounds like. Those were the enemies. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, because then it can just lead to more problems and people being upset and frustrated. And if we could be organized and control the things we can control, that's what we did. There are a lot of things in military life that are out of your control. You know, at any moment you could be told you're leaving or going to a school, you're working, you know, 24 hours. There's many times for, I mean, police officers, but also for Crew chiefs, people that do maintenance, if there's a lost tool or something happens, you're not going home until it's found. So there could be, you know, three days where somebody didn't come home because a tool was lost or a weapon was lost or something like that. So we really focused on what we could control. And I think that's how I feel about teaching people about money. Like there's so many things to think of, so many things to do, things change, but what you can do is control you and the decisions that you make. You know, everything's a choice. Do I spend extra money that I don't have on that? Do I save for my retirement? Do I plan my commute well so I save money on gas? Those type of things. Control what you can. You know, it's funny as you're talking about this, I am transported back 
to being a resident in my training to become a doctor. And because it was a very chaotic and unstructured environment, I remember that we always tried to put structure onto it. And we have these sayings, right? These sayings that just helped us figure the world out. Like one of those sayings was the patient is the one with the disease. And the, the reason why this was the saying was it was easy as the doctor to start feeling guilty when things weren't going right. Or a silly one was, if you find food, eat it. If you find a bed, sleep in it, right? Just these basic rules to bring order to chaos. So we had these funny sayings. And I'm wondering, being the child of someone in the military, did you grow up with funny sayings about how you did things in your family or how how you were supposed to organize yourselves? Hmm. Well, I'm going to give some in my time in the military, but I don't think any of them are appropriate to repeat. <laughs> the military has a lot of profanity. I'm thinking about, for instance, you said beds always come first. In a sense, that was a saying. Like you knew you were going to be moving a lot. And so oh, yeah. you had you had these certain rules. And I'm wondering if any of those come to mind that your dad taught you as a kid. I mean, well, as a cop, stranger danger was one that was always <laughs> a big one. Beds first. Mm, I can't think. Man, that's a good question. I'm sure Amelia are going to come to me as we continue talking, but mm. well, we'll put a pin in that one. Tell me, did you think that this was a typical childhood? Like back then when you were a kid, were you like, oh, this is how everyone lives? Yes. And part of the reason, I mean, just because that's what you're surrounded by, that's your community, that's who you connect with. Because when you move, you, you don't know any civilians. You're usually the other kids you're hanging out with are military brats. They're going through the same thing so they can understand it. Like, oh, hey, yeah, my dad's TDY. You know, we're, my mom's looking for a job. Like, I don't have any friends either, that type of stuff. But I also had an uncle that was in the military. So my cousins were military brats. Both of my grandfathers were in the military. So one grandfather was a naval commander in War II of a maintenance repair ship. It's funny. It was the USS Poseidon. I think that's the coolest <laughs> name for a ship. And then my other grandfather was a ball turret gunner. And so they weren't necessarily still in the military, but that was something that we always talked about. We had this history and my dad's uncles were in um, as fighter pilots. So it it was kind of my life, what I was immersed in and even family was that way. So they understood that kind of the life that we were living and even like going to we were in Germany. Well, my cousins were getting ready to leave. So we saw them when we were in Germany because they were over there too. We moved to North Carolina at Fort Bragg. They were there too. So sometimes we crossed over. So it was, I was near family, but they were also military. So, so it did seem very normal to me. Was there ever this time as an adult where you looked back at it and said, oh, this seemed really normal, but this is not like what your typical American does. Was there ever a moment of realization about that? Oh, Yes. Just in the way that you communicate, I think in the military, you don't have time to draw things out or be wishy-washy as you know, in the military, it's that way. So my dad, his job required him to be very efficient in the way he's telling something. So things don't get lost, but then that translates as kids. That's the way my dad's communicating to me. So as civilians, I think that's hard I started to see like, why don't they just say it? <laughs> why, why, don't, why don't they just be clear like what they want? I could help them better or I could not, you know, upset them if I knew exactly what they wanted. So communication, I think, was a big one in meeting friends. You don't have time to slowly 
develop relationships. It's like, I might be gone in a year. If I want to hang out with some people, I've got to start introducing myself or have some common bond. Like, Hey, how long have you been going here? Have you lived here your whole life? You know, I just moved here from Washington or something like that. So I think developing relationships is something looking back as an adult that I was really good at, at a young age, because I had to, it's like, I do want friends. So <laughs> I want, I want somebody to sit with at lunch. That's not my brother or my sister. So, <laughs> so you start to do those things. And I don't think that was normal for everybody. If you grew up in the same town that was a struggle for other kids to d- develop relationships. So I'm seeing that you grew up as the child of someone in the military. People use the term a military brat. And clearly you learned a very structured and somewhat regimented way of dealing with community and communication and managing all these moves. Tell me what did that look like in terms of finances? What type of behavior did your parents model for you when it came to financial preparedness and money? Leading by example and communication are the two biggest things that my parents taught all of us is that we they communicated with us. Hey, we have the money for that, but that's not in the budget. That's not how we're going to spend it. We need to make sure we have leftovers. So if something comes up, there's four of you, things happen. We are away from family. So if there's an emergency, it's going to cost a lot more money to get coast to coast, to get six people coast to coast, or to get my mom, you know, if if a family member had passed away, those type of things. So they really talked about it. You know, you can't spend every dime that you make, but then they did those things. I saw my dad paying bills. I saw my dad paying taxes, talking with my mother about the monthly food budget. And with six kids, most of the time it was on one income as my father was working. And there was a budget and they worked together. So I really think that they showed us not only in their actions, but in their words, like this is what we're going to do. And then they actually did those things. So that's something that looking back, I really appreciate as an adult. And as a child, it was great. Like, okay, I understand what's going on right now. You may not get it like, oh, wait, I really want those new tennis shoes or those jeans or, you know, but there's like, this is how much we have to spend on jeans. You can have one really nice pair or you could have a bunch. It's just this is the money that's going to be spent. So I think those are the, and there was the structure. It was like, this is when my dad pays bills. This is when we go grocery shopping. There was no like, hey, we're just going to keep running out and getting stuff. No, it was a massive operation <laughs> to go. My mother would go to the commissary, which is the supermarket on military installations. And she would go once a month and with six not six people, four kids that, you know, you had to make that last. And so they actually put, so we wouldn't eat all the awesome snacks up right away. They put a lock on the pantry. Hmm. <laughs> so there, there was definitely structure with that. It was like, this was the budget and this is, you know, cause you tend to like, okay, why don't we just wipe out all of those chips today <laughs> or all of those cookies? And then there wouldn't be any. So there, there was structure in that. What about frivolity or spontaneity? I mean, did you have much of that growing up, especially when it came to money? Yes. I feel like my parents are really great balance in that. My dad is all structure and some spontaneity, but my mom is definitely spontaneous and let's do this really big into the movies or let's go explore, go on a hike. We were used to traveling a lot. So that was something fun that we always do is pile in the car and we would drive somewhere to check out 
a new scenery or something that was cool in the area, local history, a mill or something like that. So we would pick up and do those things and, you know, fun snacks. Like we would have Friday night parties, big Sunday pancake breakfast that my dad would cook. So there were things that would change, you know, sometimes my dad wouldn't be there or that, you know, for the Sunday things and my mom would do things different. But yeah, there was definitely some of that too. So it sounds like your parents were savers, but they also were spenders at times. Yes, they have really good balance to that. You can't just have a blank check for everything, but you do have to have quality of life. You do have to enjoy it. I think military life also made it very present that it was serious business, like things can happen. And my parents, even if we weren't in the military, I think that that is their mindset that life is short. You know, we should take every moment that we have with each other. We never, we always say bye. We always say, I love you because this, when you walk out the door, this could be the last moment. There's a lot of experiences in our life that shaped that thought process. So I think they have a lot of balance in that you have to be prepared, but also you're not going to take it with you. Yeah. I mean, such an interesting way of growing up. It sounds it sounds like you had a highly structured environment, but also the knowledge that life is short and allowed for some spontaneity. As you saw your father make his way in his career, how did the military look to you as a way of making a living? Was this something as a kid you're like, I'm going to be like dad? No, I never thought that. Never. I, I really enjoyed working. I started working, I think, when I was 13 bagging groceries at the commissary. You could do that. You had to like go line up every Saturday and Sunday morning, and then they would pick like marble. You had to like reach in and grab a marble out of this box. And if you got the right color marble, you got to work that day. So I always thought like I would work. I just never knew what that would be. I struggled growing up to figure out what I wanted to be when I was older and struggled in school. I, the frequent moving probably didn't help that process. I had a lot of responsibilities because we could talk about it, but my mother got really sick when I was 17. And so I didn't really look at him and say like, oh, I, I really want to be a military police officer. Or I want to be an officer. I knew that that was an option. And then I started going to school after I graduated high school and it wasn't a good fit for me. It wasn't resonating. I didn't like it. I wanted to work. That's I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I made the decision at that point, which I'd never thought of before, that I'm going to join the military. So at 19, I started the process with the army. I did it in secret. I didn't mention it to my parents. Really? And yeah, I did. Because you know, Why didn't you? Some, because it wasn't something that we talked about that any of us would ever join. It wasn't that it was forbidden or that's something that my parents didn't want. But I don't think necessarily they were encouraging it like that, you know, so we didn't have those discussions. And I was kind of mad because there was always rules. My parents weren't going to pay for college. All four of us knew that at a very young age that my parents would pay for room and board, but we were going to pay for our own education. If that's what we wanted, we were going to have some skin in the game. And if we chose not to go to school, that we would be also paying rent. If you want to stay at home, you can stay here. You're welcome. But you will be a contributing member of the household. <laughs> and so I had stopped taking classes. And I knew that day was coming that my dad was going to call me to the carpet and be like, you got to start paying rent. And so that's why I kind of started doing it to see if it was something I wanted to do. Because you have to take tests. You have to see if you're qualified. You have to meet the physical requirements. I wasn't a big runner at that time. I didn't know if I could make the run, the push-ups, sit-ups, all those things. So I started that process. And then the day happened that I got called to the carpet. And my dad was like, what's it going to be? 
<laughs> he's like, you either owe me rent or you're going to start going to school. And that's when I told him, I said, I'm actually joining the military that, and I told him I had done all of these things. And he told me he was proud of me that I had done that on my own. I'd done my homework. And the only thing that he asked of me, he's like, is I would just like you to go speak to an air force recruiter. He's like, it's a different quality of life. He, th- he says, I know you, I think it'd be a better fit for you because I've been in the army. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, you should, you know, consider my experience. And he's like, that's all I ask of you. And so I went and I met the Air Force recruiter and I immediately I was like, ah, I'm joining the Air Force, not the Army. And then I had to do everything on my own. The only thing my dad did was he came the day I signed to make sure that I wasn't, you know, they hadn't switched anything on me. Unfortunately, sometimes that happens. And so he just made sure that they understood that somebody was double checking that paperwork. And then I signed and I joined. I find it interesting, you know, it seems like the culture your dad and mom created at home was very pro-military, in a sense, very pro-army, very structured. It sounds like he used the lessons he learned by being in the military to help run his family, help teach his children. I'm surprised at the skepticism of the military in general and of the army in specific. Well, I'm also a very big homebody. I love being around my family. I don't like being away from home. And my parents also knew that, that maybe that was going to be a struggle. And it was, I did have a very difficult time leaving the first time going to basic training. I spent, it wasn't horrible being in Italy, but I did spend seven months in Italy by myself and, you know, did my training by myself. So those things, they knew that it it would be hard for me. And it was, and, but my dad also knew that it was great for me. It was the best decision I ever made to join the military. I needed to continue that structure and to figure out what I wanted to be. And to do that, I think I needed to be on my own and build some confidence, a basic training that, you know, they push you harder than you've ever been pushed. And you think every day you're going to break and you don't, and you're like, wow, like I did it the next day. You're like, wow, I'm still here. I didn't quit, (laughs) you know, and, and going through that process really helped build my confidence. And I did have this structure. I was able to follow the rules and and do the job, but it also kind of led me into who I am and then started to figure out what I wanted to be. And that worked the four years I was in, I realized, okay, like I have wonderful lessons growing up. I know that I need to spend less than I make and save. I didn't always listen to that when I was 21. So I made a lot of mistakes with money, but I I wanted to kind of take it to the next level. I wanted to learn about investing. And so I started to think, because you have a deadline, either I'm staying in or I'm getting out. And it pushed me again to make that decision, like the rent decision, like, are you staying here and paying rent or are you going to go to school? And, but I joined the military. And so the deadline for me to get out of the military was coming. And I was like, you know what? I really need to do some soul searching. What do I want to do? And I had already started to go back to school to get my degree. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get out and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do business and finance and follow that path. And so it, it did help. We're going to talk in a moment about your post-military life and how it led to being a financial advisor. But before we do, I'm just wondering, entering the Air Force was challenging for you, but was there also a comfort there? Like, were you kind of prepared for some of it because that was the kind of environment you grew up in? Did it feel more comfortable, let's say, than going back to school or entering the workforce? No, I was very familiar with customs and courtesies in a general respect. Like I understood, you know, retirement ceremonies, things that I did with my parents, mm-hmm. you know, hail and farewells, you know, company picnics, things like that. But being a service member, no, I was not ready for that. It was 
very difficult, you know, and, and part of it is they're breaking you down. It's not about you. It's about the mission. And when you're younger, sometimes you are a little self-absorbed and I was <laughs> so learning that, okay, Hey, like we're a group, we're doing this together. We're running together. We're marching together. We're making our beds. We're doing all of these things. I feel like I could do them, but I wasn't quite prepared for them. I liked the structure once I was in and making, you know, my own pay and, but it was still, you know, you have to follow the rules. Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to get a good job? Like, are they going to send me? At one point I started the process to leave for Saudi Arabia and that was going to be very difficult for me to to leave the country, go to Saudi Arabia. And I ended up that I went to Italy instead, which was just a huge blessing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so some things I was prepared for, but the overall, I don't, I don't think that it was easy, but you get used to it. And just like any new job, like you, you figure it out and you get comfortable with it. We are talking to Lacey Langford. She is a financial coach, veteran, military spouse, and entrepreneur. And we are discussing the cultures, the unique cultures we grew up with and how that affects our financial lives. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. So last week, August 19th, it was a Friday. It was a magical day. That was the night we did my book launch party at the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters in Longmont, Colorado. Thanks to Carl Jensen from Mile High Fi, Pete Aideney, Mr. Money Mustache, and the wonderful crew that runs the Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters. It was a magical night. We got to celebrate my book, Taking Stock. But more importantly, I've been arguing on this podcast and in my book that what's important is not necessarily our financial independence, but what that tool of money buys us. And what that is is a sense of purpose, identity, and connections. And being at Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters, surrounded by my community, our community, talking about my book, I just can't tell you how fantastic an experience it was. It brought to light what I'm doing this for and what I think we're all doing this for is to have these moments where we feel connected. It was a blast doing it. If you were not able to come to Longmont, hopefully I will see you somewhere on the road that might be San Diego when I'm going to a Camp Fi Southwest or somewhere else. Like I said, I might do a Chicago book launch party here too, just to celebrate since it is local. 
I hope to see you all in person. And most importantly, I hope you keep enjoying the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Lacey Langford. She's an accredited financial counselor with over 15 years of financial planning, counseling, and coaching experience. Lacey, we were talking about your upbringing before the break and this culture of regimentation and structure. Let's move over to military finances. What's kind of the typical military financial behavior? Mm, I think it's on two ends of the spectrum. The first one is spending more than you have, going into debt, credit card. There's a lot of moving in the military. And with that comes a lot of hidden expenses. And then on the other side, it's, okay, I did all those things. I'm spending less than I make. I'm saving. What now? What do I do with this money? How do I prepare? I just, you know, it starts to pile up for some people. So I think it's on both ends of the spectrum. Does the military advise its members? I mean, are you taught what to do with your finances? Is there any help in that category? Yes, you are. And and now at different stages. So at basic training, at your technical training, you get it. You also get it when you arrive to your first military installation for your job. You receive you know, budgeting basics, how to make large purchases, your thrift savings plan, which is the government's 401k. So you get information on that. And a lot of it has to do with you. Most military members have to have a security clearance to perform their job. And part of the adjudication process to obtain a security clearance is your financial, your finances have to be in order. So if you have a lot of debt, you could potentially be a security threat to the United States. Because let's say you have, you know, $100,000 worth of debt and you're a 21, 21 year old working on like, some secret piece of equipment and somebody's like, Hey, can you just give me a picture of your workstation? That's all I want. And we'll wipe that, wipe out that debt for you. So you could potentially be at risk. So that's why they want your finances. Or if you have something in collections and you just have this behavior of not fulfilling your obligations to finances that you've made, then it's a problem. So they're really teaching you the basics of finances because that is part of, of keeping that security clearance and, if you're going to stay in the military for a while, at some point, you're probably going to need one. And and that's going to be the process you go through. We talked about moving, and that's a really unique economic pressure of people in the military. Talk about some of the others. I know the pension system has some unique stresses to it, but what difficulties do military people face that are, are, are different than your average person? I think living off of one income is a struggle. Military spouses are oft, often un- or underemployed because of the moving. So military life is going to come first. A service member's career, thats you've made an obligation. You've signed up. You, you've made the commitment. So if you have to move, you're going to move. If you have to deploy, you're going to deploy. And if you have small children and a deployment for a year comes down the pipeline, you may not be able to work as a military spouse to take care of your children. You may be an attorney or a financial professional or somebody where it's difficult for you to keep picking up and moving your job, building a book for an advisor and then leaving those type of things. And so often that messes with their income to say, okay, right now we have two incomes, but in six months, we're going to have one income and we're going to have some extra expenses because of the move. So I think that up and down, up and down, we have two incomes, we have one income really impacts the community more than civilians, I think, because 
it's, you know, in the civilian world, if you're married, I think both spouses, hey, our jobs are both important. When you're in the military, it's like, yes, both of our jobs are important, but you're not going to be AWOL if you don't show up for your job. So th- we've kind of got to stay here and, and do do my thing. <laughs> so and then also th- those expenses, the constant chaos of moving that messes with people. So they're spending more money than they're allotted to make their move, maybe eating out or getting new things for their home. You never know how many windows you're going to have at your new place. Hmm. So you might need an additional five sets of curtains that you didn't have before. You know, you want privacy. So there's these little things that pop up security, like maybe you're not in as great a neighborhood. So you're buying your own security system or something like that for a rental property. You just never know. And then the the just travel expenses too. A lot of people are doing vacations when they're moving. And then you mentioned the retirement that is different that, you know, you still eligible for a pension. You're also eligible to contribute to the thrift savings plan and receive a match for people that are in this new blended retirement system. But they changed that before you receive no matching contributions to contribute. But because 85% of people that were serving were getting out of the military without a pension. Hmm. So they weren't staying the full 20 years and then walking away with no savings for the future. So that was a way to make that better for people, an incentive for service members. So I think those are some of the things that are different. And one of the biggest ones being the security clearance, that if your finances aren't in order, you are going to get in trouble for it. You might lose your security clearance. And if your job requires you to have that security clearance, that means you will be getting out of the military. So that's a major difference. I'm interested in this idea of security clearance because we know in the civil in the civilian world, there are two things that that really harp on people's finances. One is our love affair with debt, right? So out in the real world, we're using our credit cards, we're buying all sorts of things. And the other is this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, trying to, you know, have all the same stuff or better stuff than your neighbors. Does this security clearance issue mitigate that a little bit in the military, or do you still see some of these same proclivities? I still see some of those same things, especially when it comes to Dodge Chargers and jacked up trucks. That's the thing in the military. It's the vehicles, right? Yes, it is. It really is. But I think as people get older, when you first come in, that is something you're not really tracking. But as you your career progresses and you're seeing other people be exposed to those problems to say, hey, I am in trouble. I have to fix this, clean it up get it back to my security officer so they won't revoke or suspend my security clearance. I think that starts, you know, anything like civilian world is you mature, you realize, okay, like I can't just keep blowing all this money. So you learn as you get older, but I do think that it is an incentive that you wouldn't have in the civilian world that, Hey, I'm going to be in trouble because they're going to check your stuff. They're going to pull Mm -hmm. randomly pull your credit report. And I don't know that a lot of, Civilian jobs do that. I'm sure there are some that do that, but they are checking, pro, being proactive about it to make sure that there's no problems. So if you're not staying on it, there's this, it's like drug testing. You could be called at any moment to go do a drug test. Same thing with your finances. Your finances finances could be called at any moment. So you really have to be prepared. If not, it's just going to be nagging at you in the background. 
Talk about the decision after four years to leave and what you did subsequently. Let's first start with the decision to leave. How did you make that decision? Why not stay in the Air Force? There were a lot of things I thought about. I didn't know if I wanted to do 20 years to move. Again, I'm that homebody and to just have to go places. And I did like the steady income. That was the one thing that was a big security blanket for me because I rolled right out of being a military child into being a service member. And so my medical was taken care of. You know, I, I knew that there would always be a roof over my head. There would always be food and I would receive my pay. So that part scared me about getting out to lose that security blanket. I think I wanted to get out, but that it held me back for a long time that I would all of a sudden be a civilian. Like that was foreign to me. Like, what do I do for medical coverage? What, you know, what do I do for my dental and my vision? <laughs> you know, I'm so used to the military process for all of that, that I was just, it was foreign. And it was also foreign to everybody around me. It was foreign to my parents, to my siblings, because they were still military children. They were on the payroll while they were in school and things like that. So, um, but I wanted more. I, w- I wanted to go to school. I wanted to, I, I was interested in entrepreneurship. I didn't know that I would land where I am at right now, but I just thought that, okay, I want to be, learn about investing and this is the way I got to do it. I've got to get out of the military. At the, at the time while I was on active duty, I was in a community college and then I transferred to university. And so I was like, this is the next step if I want to learn about investing and things. So as you make this transition, you decide to leave the military, you decide to eventually become a financial advisor and coach. Talk about kind of your upbringing and then being in the military. Did that prepare you specifically to be a financial coach? And if so, how? I think communication skills, the military life really helped me with that and empathy, you know, to to understand like, Hey, everything just doesn't happen according to plan. Like, I know that you're trying to pay your bills. I know you're trying to put food on the table and being able to, to talk with people and relate with them in their lifestyle. I think that the military really helped me with that structure to look at a problem and to get it organized. And anything that I do, like an entrepreneurship now with finances, it's like, okay, there is a problem in front of me. It might be coming in from a different you know, all over from spots, but I can start to pull in pieces. Okay. Get it organized, make structure. And then once I have structure, I can make a decision, you know, and that's where to get it down is you have to be able to make a decision that you don't want to have a huge impact. So little stuff that's not going to have a huge financial impact, make those quick looking at the whole problem, move the quick ones out of the way. Now it's a smaller problem. Okay. What's the ones that are going to have the most financial hurt? Okay. These are the ones I need to think about, do research. So I think that really helped me in helping other people with money is to kind of look at all the chaos and then get structure and then communicate and make a plan. Like that's all the military is, is is making a plan and executing it. And I think I'm good at that with people is to say, this is a plan. This is how you execute it. And then this is how we go back and check to make sure that we're assessing how you're executing the plan. Are you doing a good job? How can we improve that? So those things I think make me good financial coach for people is that structure and being able to communicate. I'm wondering what it's like for you to work with non-military people. Is there a language that you always find a common language with military people that you have to be thoughtful about when you're working with non-military people? 
I didn't get that at first, but I do now that I am very direct and, you know, sometimes I don't smile if I'm nervous or something like that. And for civilians, I think that can be overwhelming that I just jump right in. It's like, okay, here's the problem. This is how we're going to fix it. Let's start to pull it apart. Like, what are your strengths? How, what are the best ways for you to fix it? I, when I started my business, which I started because I was a military spouse and it was very difficult for me to work for other people. And I helped somebody, a couple at my church with money because I thought, okay, I'm just going to help everybody with money. So I got these clients and I had incubator space and I was so organized and I sat down to talk with them. And most of the work up to that point I had done with service members and their spouses. So when I started talking to this couple, I realized right away, like, this is, I'm just not resonating with them. I could feel it. Like, it just wasn't the normal, I call it zinging. <laughs> it wasn't that zinging feeling. Like, they're getting what I'm saying. It's resonating. I, they seem excited that we're we're getting to a solution to their problem. And this couple, I helped them for, I think it was an hour, but it felt like three hours. It just we weren't speaking the same language. And so that's when I really realized, hey, my niche is the military community. That's how I speak. You know, I I think I've gone one year of my life without a military ID card. So it's I'm really heavily immersed (laughs) in it. So that's when I thought, okay, somebody else would be a better fit for them as a coach and to understand like, yeah, I could take their money and try to keep working with them, but it's not getting the job done. It's it's, I'm not in a long term, it's not going to help them the way that I could help somebody that is military. We are speaking the same language, especially with a service member. You know, we can use lingo and things like that. I understand the struggles that they're going through with this couple. I didn't get their struggles. They, you know, had totally different career fields. I didn't know anybody that had their same career fields. And that was very difficult for me to. I needed to understand their life before I could help them with the military. I understand your life. So we're getting right to the help instead of it being a longer process. So I I think, you know, I learned over time that I do communicate differently with civilians. Do you think the civilian world could learn something from, from your experience in the military? Like, do you think that the civilian world is missing something when it comes to money that is more innate to people who've been in the military? Well, I think one is that it's serious business. Like you can't take it with you. Life is short. This, you know, yes, you do need to prepare because you never know what's going to happen. I think that is really big in the military community is, you know, you get a knock on the door one day or, you know, you lose somebody at home and you were in Germany and they're in Alabama and you weren't there, you know, because you didn't have enough money to fly home to visit them or something like that. So I think those things, but then also the, the communication that when things are going wrong, it's, you don't need to make it about you. Let's work on the problem. You know, in the military, it's, we're going to work on the mission and everybody's going to bring their strengths, their ideas to the problem. And then we'll talk it through. I think sometimes when you haven't served, you know, that's not, or, or even your job, like you are used to that. There are some career fields that are, but I think the military is one very specific that they don't really have time to make it about you right now, that there's other things going on. And so I get that you're hungry or that you're tired or those type of things. So I think those are things they can learn. And vice versa, I think that the military has a lot to learn from the civilian world. You know, jobs, 
selling yourself, marketing. In the military, everything's given. Hey, if you don't mess up, you do a good job, you're going to promote. You're going to make more money. Civilians, they are working for that. They are trying to get promoted. They are changing jobs, going to whole different companies frequently, starting over, getting used to a new environment and structure that's built in there, their own systems and values. In the military, it stays the same for a long time. If you're in 20 years, you're so used to that. When you get out, it changes your identity versus civilian world. They're used to those frequent changes. And I think the military could use some of that in in marketing themselves and being used to those type of changes. So Lacey, you are not just a daughter, but you are now a parent. Talk about your upbringing and do you see yourself bringing up your children in the same way your dad brought up you? Do you find yourself repeating some of his phrases or bringing some of that structuredness to to child rearing that you remember your parents bringing to you? Yes. When we were moving with my husband, when he was on active duty, I did start that whole bed's cribs first. Like those have to be, we, we need a place to put these guys down so they can have a nap and they'll be safe. I also started with the positivity, like, Hey, we're moving again, or dad's leaving. I'm going to be happy. I'm not going to sit here and cry in front of you because that's going to make you guys cry. And I don't want this to be a habit. I want it to be a good thing. And so I started that with my kids and we started the process of whenever my husband would leave, we would do something new. I would try it. You know, I tried CrossFit one year. I tried guitar one year. We, you know, planned trips. So we always had something, a project when he was away for us to focus on. So we didn't get immersed in a pity party. And I think I really got that from my parents is to find the good in the situation and be really happy when they're home. And, you know, when we're all together, we're going to make the most of those moments. So I really took that away. And the structure, I'm always communicating with my husband, especially as the person that does the finances for my family. You know, we have talks, I update him on things. And I have a saying like, this is the, if something happens to me, you need to pay attention. So we normally talk about money, but when it's like something key, Hey, this is where this document is, or this is where you go for this. I, I started communicating that with my husband and then you know, teaching kind of the same things to my children. We do have money for that, but that's not how we're allotting our money. When we go to the store, we don't have a blank check. I know we're not you're, what your friends are doing, but we're not your friends. You know, we have our own values and the way that we're going to spend our money and safety security is really big for us. That was something also from my parents is. We, you know, those were things that were set up first. How are we going to be safe? How are we going to be secure? Does everybody know the way home? Those type of things. So I did communicate. I do communicate that to my children. And then also that we're training them to be fully functioning adults. That's something my parents taught us that we, we won't always be here for you. You know, not that, you know, when we, you know, we're alive, we will do everything we can to help you, but there may be a day that we won't be here. So I teach that to my children that there may be a day that we won't be here. So this is all training. Your job <laughs> is to go to school. Your job is to learn how to use a debit card. Your job is to, you know, think about what you want to be when you're older. That's your job right now. You don't have the full responsibilities of an adult. So enjoy your childhood. That is something also my dad taught all of us is to make the most of being a kid. Like you don't need to rush into being an adult. There'll be plenty of time for that. And I think about that now as an adult, 
all the time. Like, man, he was right. Like I should have just saved her that, that moment of not paying bills or, you know, getting my driver's license and somebody else paying the gas money, those type of things. Well, Lacey, I wanted to thank you for being on the show today and talking about the unique culture you grew up with being the daughter of someone in the military, a military family, and how that has affected your career, both as a financial advisor and as a parent. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And if people want more information, how can they find you? Let's start with the first part of that. What is coming up next in your life? Mill Money Con. So it's a conference I've been working on to help other people in my situation that are financial professionals that have military service come into this career field. So it's a conference that's in April of 2023. So I'm in full swing on planning for that. And if people want to ask you questions or know more, what is the best way to reach you? They can reach me at LaceyLangford.com. I have a contact form on there, or they can hit me up on LinkedIn or on social media. I'm Lacey Langford on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I'm Finance Lacey. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Lacey Langford. That's a wrap. Cool. I usually leave things running just for a few minutes as we chat. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you have a real unique upbringing. Um, and I love this idea. And I'm not sure how much we brought it out. But this idea that the military has rules. And when you're in the military, you bring those rules home to your family. And that becomes your family's culture. And I think it's really unique in the way it shaped your life and where you've ended up today. I get the sense that those feelings gave you some of that structure in a chaotic world um, and helped lead you to probably be a really good financial advisor. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I hope so. I think it did. Like there are so many things like even I didn't go to on the my dad being a police officer side. Like yeah, which has its that. own own sense of structure, right, which is completely yeah. separate from from military in general. Well, we were taught, you know, if we were ever, somebody ever tried to grab us. I mean, he had three daughters too. So that was probably like, he needed help. Like we had to take some ownership in our security is what he always taught us. Like you need to be aware of your surroundings. You need to turn around and look, make sure everybody's following you. But people make fun of me because now as an adult, I'm really all over that. When I go to conferences or travel and I get an Uber, I have a security procedure that I do to make sure that it's safe for me to get in that car with somebody besides like checking the license plate. But when I get in before I close the door, I roll down the window. So the window is open. Then I close the door. Then I make sure I can reopen the door before we drive away. So that way I could jump out the window. If there is, yeah, And yeah. I'll never drink the water. You know, they're always offering you water in the car. Yep, I'm like, nope, yep. no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good to go. But my dad always said, it's better for somebody to think you're crazy for them than for the alternative to happen. So I think that every Uber driver probably thinks I'm crazy, but I don't <laughs> care because I'm like opening the door, rolling down the window. But it's because I, I'm I am in charge of my security when I go on a conference or go out of town. I'm by myself. Nobody's with me. I share my location so people know where I'm at. But those are things that I picked up when I was younger that we had code words. If you know, a stranger tried to pick us up, those type of things. So. 
Yeah. The, again, the preparedness is what comes through. Like, it sounds like you grew up with this sense of if there is a problem, this is what you do. And that was pervasive in your upbringing to the extent that you had plans for things that most people don't even think about. Right. Because again, having a military police father, um, he just had all these plans in place. And this was, this was a way of fighting the chaos. And, um, I think we struggle with that a lot in our finances. And that's why I think it relates is I think we're constantly fighting the chaos. And some of that sense of structure can be really helpful, like in our in our money battles. And I and I imagine that's what one thing you really bring to people is by saying, okay, we have plans on our plans. If this bad thing happens, here's our plan. If this bad thing happens, here's our plan. If this good thing happens, here's our plan. And people knowing that you have those layers of plans makes it feel so much safer and better, I think. Yes. I, I hope it does. Cause that's what my goal is. I want people to have that because if you don't, you are sick, you know, it's yeah. like a, a feeling in your stomach, like you're it's dropped and you're worried all the time. And when you can just take a small part and organize it, mm -hmm. that feels a little better. Take the next part, get that structured and organized. It, it feels a little bit better, but I, I think it just applies to so many things. Like I, if you just have one second, I did this, um, I do this race every year. It's called the bear run mm -hmm. and it's a five mile run up a mountain in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I do it. My uncle does it and his like stepson and very long story short, I went to do it this year and there was a horrible accident hmm. and um, I, I couldn't even believe it happened in front of me. I thought it was intentional at first, but basically there were one of the, the pickup van ran over some of the runners and killed one of them. Oh, geez. And I was right there, but I couldn't find my uncle because we separated. I mean, the race was getting ready to start mm -hmm. and um, we couldn't find his stepson, his wife. And it turns out um, his stepson was one of the people hit. He he, oh, lived, but he was he was. But it was I immediately went into that structure. It was like, OK, I here's need what we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, here's I need what to... we do. Yeah, I was like, I need to find my uncle. I was like, he is alive. He is good. He, he saw me. We have both had the same look. We're both alive. Good to go. You know? And then it was like, we got to find the other people and okay. Now we got to communicate to other people outside of here that we're okay. And then they become the communication hub because yeah. we're in the chaos. So then it's like, okay, my dad and my sister are now communication hubs and stuff like that. So it, it really just continues on. But my dad in that moment knew like I, everything I was going to do because he had trained me to do those things. So it kind of gives family peace too, to know that in the situation, right. they can't help that you're good. So I like that. Anyway. How to be prepared. That was some, yes. sounds like something that, that was ingrained in you guys as children. So very cool. Well, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the daily crunch podcast from TechCrunch. with new episodes every day. This podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.